And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 28 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been doing? Oh, I'm doing very well. You know, Christmas break is here. It feels like uh, March Madness already or like the conference tournaments. I've been watching basketball today. I think I'm on my fifth or sixth game of the day. Two TVs going right now. You know, heck of a time to be watching hoops. And my alma mater gets a big win over Butler last night. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. My heart rate uh, finally dropped down, you know, about an hour after the game last night. But uh, how are you? How you been? I'm doing good. Apparently not as good as you. You seem to be riding high over there, you know. Uh, watching all these games throughout the day. You know, your big school, Carbondale, got a huge win for their school and the Missouri Valley. Uh, myself, you know, I got another day of work tomorrow, then a four-day weekend. So hoping that I'll be able to watch a lot of college basketball this weekend and then the following weekend, get a long weekend there too. But not going to see much of the OVC uh, just due to the scheduling uh, in the Ohio Valley. Most schools are off this whole week. But I'm going to try and sit back and dive into the Missouri Valley Conference and watch a lot of the games that I know you will be tuned in. I'm sure you'll have, you know, three televisions up. If you happen to somehow get a tablet or a, another TV over Christmas, I'm sure you'll fire up a fourth TV over the break. Yeah, the problem is ESPN Plus only lets you stream three games at a time, though. So kind of limited that way. So I'm looking at the schedule now. It doesn't look like I'll have... Too bad of overlap. Uh, you know, conference play starts Sunday. You know, eight of the teams will be in action. All ten will be in action on Monday, and then Bradley Valpo is that one holdout, so they'll be the the Monday Tuesday crew. But yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, I thought we get a, a good uh, look into what it'll be like going back to back. Because SIU played North Dakota on a back to back. And kind of made me think because SIU had the big win on the first game, on the Thursday game, and then had to turn around and play Friday. Like, I always think it's harder to get your kids to adjust when they when they're up big at halftime. I think the same thing happens, you know, when you have a game where you've just won big time. Like well, we just beat them by twenty yesterday, so I think your focus maybe isn't uh, there like it would be normally. Like, I mean, if you had some time off, and maybe it's a little bit different look. You know, it's, it's not like baseball where it's a doubleheader. Like, oh, well, we're going to see a different pitcher. It's going to be something completely different. Like, no, you're going to see pretty much the same thing two days in a row. So thought it was, it'll be interesting to see that, you know, and help coaches kind of stretch their players out and spread their minutes around too. So well, I th- thought that was a good look into that. I think that's a good point. And especially this year, you know, in college basketball, you know, with a lot of the programs either being on pause at certain points or not being able to get their, you know, amount of practices that they would normally have had you know by a certain point getting the conditioning in and whatnot uh watching the austin p and murray state game uh last night they brought up a good point you know they said coach figure you know was kind of questioning a certain aspect of the scheduling part that that he had done well they had mckendry uh go to clarksville tennessee for a game which austin p would win but then they also had a game the next day against Florida A and M, you know who went right. in there winless and lost, or the Florida A and M won, so Austin P lost at home. And during the broadcast, they were kind of saying that, you know, he was kind of disappointed that he scheduled that or they scheduled that game right after you know McKendry because it's two different opponents. You know, it's you're obviously playing uh, step down from the Division One level, so to see how guys were going to react in back-to-back games, you know, in a very winnable game for Austin P, 
you know, you know, you solve some uh, some miscues in that too. And Austin P's been banged up a little bit as well. Yeah, it was good to see them bounce back with that win over Murray last night. You know, uh, you know last week we talked, we kind of worried about what direction they were headed, but uh, you know, Terry Taylor had a heck of a game for the Governors yesterday. So, well, he had a great game, yeah. and it looked like it looked like for a bit uh, Murray State was going to start to creep away from Austin P because Terry Taylor, I believe, was held without a point for almost the first nine or ten minutes of the first half. Wow, and then. He just he came out of nowhere, knocked down two threes, and then then it was he was on from there. I think he finished like 30, 33 points or something like that with another double double. So I mean he's a pro- decent day at the office. Oh, hell yeah. I mean he and he proved he proved why uh there's been talk about him, you know, playing at that next level. I mean, on national and televised game, I mean he did exactly yeah. what uh the doctor ordered. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, you know, Coach Spooner talked about telling his his players like about Taylor when the ball is thrown over the top, that he just likes to tip it in. I saw him do that against McKendry at least three or four times. Uh, again, you're playing against a Division two, but sometimes the, the difference between D one and D two can be pretty minimal. But I mean, it was really interesting that you know Coach Spooner pointed that out. I was like, wow, that is really like you knew what he is explaining, but then to see like, holy cow, that I don't know that I could do that. Yeah, he's he's definitely on another level compared to uh, most of the guys in the Ohio Valley, especially. And he, I mean, he's even probably on another level compared to some of the other guys just around the country in college basketball. I mean, he could go up against some Power Five competition. That's for sure. Right. It'll be interesting to see where he lands after he gets done playing uh, for the Governors. I, I I worry about his size at the next level. How does that translate? But sometimes guys that you know, come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they they can perform at that next level. So it'll be interesting to see where he slots in. Well, and as you saw in that game, you know they they played Murray, you know, just about a week, two weeks ago, and you know lost by thirty on the road. And mm-hmm. so I know we were talking about how would the governors respond after that game, and I was confident that Austin P would be able to rebound. Just Coach Figures a very. Uh, he, he's a good coach. He's had a good mentor in uh, Frank Martin. And knowing how Coach Martin, uh, you know, coaches from the sidelines when you see him on, you know. He's, he's games, an intense dude. You know, Coach Figure has that at times too. So you knew Coach Figure was not going to let Austin P get blown out on their home court. But it's a big win for Austin P. you know, just in general. But to see them get a win – Without Jordan Adams, who's you know arguably probably their second best player, who's been out three games, it's 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 big. So we'll see when the uh, governors can get Adams back, and once he gets back, you know things might just uh, start to click for Austin P going forward. But during be this, interesting what happens going down the stretch here. But during this week's episode, we'll get you caught up on what has happened recently in the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley Conference, as well as college hoops as a whole. First, we'll take a look at the Missouri Valley Conference here, TJ. And what stood out to you most this week before we get into some of the recaps of matchups? I think the way new players to the league are stepping up for their teams. I think, you know, look at SIU and Ben Harvey has been instrumental 
watching Bradley play Mizzou right now, and they're obviously missing Terry Nolan Jr., who had another big shot for Bradley this week, but Sean East uh, from there. Uh, and then um, Evansville, they had, you know, finally got Samari Curtis, the Nebraska transfer, that he had his uh, first games for the Aces this week. It's really interesting to see how those guys fit in and how much, how big of a role they're playing on their teams, uh, respectively. I know I'm missing a couple guys, but those are the ones that have really stood out to me. I know that uh, Indiana State has a couple uh, guys that have come in as well, but it's, it's and then you know, Norris kid at uh, Loyola has been huge. I mean, you're talking about a guy that came in for a team that had their entire starting five coming back, plus a guy that probably would have been in their rotation or started last year in Cephas coming back had he not been injured. And he's busted in and, you know, really made a statement for himself, had a huge game against Richmond to bring the uh, Rambush back into that game. So I think that's been the biggest thing that stood out to me as I thought about this last week. How about you on the OVC side? Anything particularly standing out to you? Well, before we get to the OVC side, I wanted to mention that Richmond and Loyola game. Yeah, I was I was impressed with Loyola in that game. Yeah, they came away with a loss, but Richmond has been they've been a team where I don't think many many would have really talked about that much. Yeah, they're projected to win the I believe they're projected to win the eight ten. Um, right. But ha- still, having said that, to see them get off to the start they did you know they went to Kentucky who's obviously having their own struggles and just seems to be getting worse as the days continue Mm -hmm. um but Richmond's a very experienced team and to see Loyola you know compete like they did against Richmond who who I could easily see you know winning winning at least a game in the NCAA tournament if not maybe two you know depending how far they get um, they have the experience and uh, leadership to obviously get the job done. But Loyola scored 51 points in the second half in that game. You know, they didn't have the best first half. You know, they didn't score until under the after the under 16 time on the second half. I, so that just shows you, you know, the stretches they were able to put together to chip away against Richmond. They were up 15 at half, Richmond was, and – if Loyola was able to defend uh, Blake Francis just a little bit, they probably win that game. Yeah, or don't go through that huge strike spell, you know, scoring wise, because they're down fifteen and a half and twenty some odd in the second half. But then Richmond loses to Hofstra today. I, I just play. saw that. And see, and that's what's weird with college basketball this year. Like things are going to happen that you would not even expect to happen you know as good as Richmond's been playing and you're going to lose at home to Hofstra no nothing against Hofstra but I think that's not a game you expected them to to lose for sure not at all but I think that's just where you're at in 2020 you know you see certain programs getting these big wins over uh certain schools and then they just happen to look past uh a game and then it just it comes back and bites you but what stood out to me in the Ohio Valley side of things was basically the first day of conference play for most teams. And that was December 18th, uh, this past Friday, the road teams went three and zero in conference play. So you had wow. SIU Edwardsville knocked off Moorhead 69, 65, the battle of Nashville, Belmont easily got past Tennessee state 88, 63. And then UT Martin won at SEMO 69, 67, 
and what which was really a buzzer beater down in uh, Cape Girardeau. Cameron Holden uh, uh, led the way with 24 points for UT Martin, and then Eden Holt uh, basically had the shot that lifted the Skyhawks over SEMO. But seeing that the road teams went 3-0 and there, uh, kind of an indication that the OVC could be up for grabs. You know, I'm not saying the OVC typically has a lot of home court advantage. You know, it's not it's not like that each school is usually a sellout whenever, you know, you're able to have fans. But uh, this the teams that were able to win on the road is an area where you may have like in the standings like fifth place through through ninth that are that are just jockeying for position and that could come up big, you know, come seeding time. How many wins are you able to get on the road? Right. Yeah, it could be a, a difference maker for you, for sure. But in the SIU Edwardsville-Moorhead State game, Sidney Wilson led the way for the Cougars with 18 points. Five assists, came up one rebound shy of a double-double. He had nine. And Moorhead State, I actually, I actually thought Moorhead was going to was going to win the game against SIUE. You know, the Cougars haven't had, you know, basically a full stretch of games. They were paused at times due to the COVID. And seeing Moorhead's schedule, how they've had it, you know, laid out, they've had a tough schedule. And I thought their tough schedule was really going to help prepare them for OVC play. I believe they've played three ranked teams already, or who were ranked at the time. I know they played Kentucky, which I think is Kentucky's only win to this point. Uh, they played Richmond, Ohio State, and then they just played Clemson. Uh, I guess yesterday. So they've had a brutal, a brutal schedule, but we're able to get a win against Eastern Kentucky in there as well. Mm-hmm. What about on the Missouri Valley side? Well, I mean, we already mentioned the Richmond Loyola game, like you said. Uh, huge comeback by those guys, and the Nor- Norris goes five for nine for, from three and get a double-double out of Cameron Crutwig, you know, uh, the mustachioed Cameron Crutwig, which my wife just cringes every time she sees it. Uh, <laughs> poor kid. And uh, then Saturday, I thought a big a big win because they had to fight back was Bradley over Miami of Ohio. They trailed most of the game. They, they actually went on a 9-0 run to finish the game. Uh, under At the under-four timeout, it was 68-60 Miami, and they went on a wow. 9-0 run, mostly without Elijah Childs, because I think he had was a hip bruise. He's trying, I think it was on his left leg. He kind of kept working that, and they didn't have him until, until the final defensive possession. But, you know, they run this nice play in the last, uh, you know, their last possession. Ryan McMass makes this nice backdoor pass to Terry Nolan Jr., who hits another big shot for them. And then Sean East, mm-hmm. another, uh, you know, addition for Bradley. He had 14 for them. So right there you see, like I talked about earlier, those new additions really proven to make the difference for these teams. I thought that was a big, I think it would have been a bad loss to the league, but then for him to, you know, for them to be able to pull that out was good for uh, them to do. So uh, any other games on the OBC side that yeah, the caught your interest. The Belmont Tennessee State game, I always in I always enjoy seeing how those games will come down just because they're both in Nashville, kind of a little bit of a rivalry there inside conference play. And Tennessee State's had hasn't had the best start to their college basketball season. And I'm not trying to say, oh, it's because they're 0 3. 
they've just been dealt a hand where they've been paused a lot more than a lot of the other programs in the conference and in college basketball in general. Because you look at Belmont, already played eight games. Tennessee State's played three, and two of the games have been against Belmont. So mm-hmm. to open a season like that, it's tough. But at the same time, I was expecting Tennessee State to come out with a little bit more uh, a vengeance, if you will, in this game. You know, they lost 88-63, but they gave it a good first half. It was 34-27 at the break. But really, their defense was the was the cause. Yeah, obviously, if you hear they gave up 88 points, you're be like, well, no kidding. But <laughs> it really wasn't their three-point defense. And when you think Belmont scoring a lot of points, you're thinking, okay, the, the other team didn't play great defense but behind the arc. Not the case. Belmont only shot 33% from distance and only made eight threes. It was really their inside game where they were able to take advantage of that. And that's what stood out to me. So if Belmont can can find a way to be consistent inside the three-point arc while, while already being a good three-point shooting team, I think that's going to make them even more dangerous in Ohio Valley play and will really help their chances once the OVC tournament gets here because Belmont's been known to shoot the three. Yeah, they've had a couple guys that that come up big. You've had Muzinski in the past for Belmont, and he's been good inside. But if they can be consistent, I mean, look out. Mm-hmm. Belmont's going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah, anytime that you can, you know, give your shooters more time, they have to respect the inside play than that inside-outside game is, uh, you know, even more potent. And, and as players, we all practice for, with an inside-out pass, you know, coming from underneath sure. the basket, hitting, you know, hitting that shot, which is much more natural than, you know, catching a, a ball moving around the perimeter, you know. So, and that just makes it all the more uh, harder to defend defensively and to game plan for. Absolutely. What about you back on the Missouri Valley side, going a little bit back and forth here? Yeah, I mean... Belmont Evansville, I thought Samari Curtis, you know, with his 19 points, um, like we said, the, the Nashville, or excuse me, the Nebraska transfer, I thought a key point really, and I, I, I feel bad picking on the kid, but he hits a three in the first half that kind of was going to stop a uh, Belmont run, and then looks at the bench and says something and gets teed, teed up. Belmont goes down, hits the two free throws, hits a three. So now, you know, going from a tie game to down five, and Belmont goes on a run. But Evansville, you know, fought back late, and I thought they, you know, had a chance to climb back into it. Uh, obviously, we talked about the SIU-Butler game, and you know, everyone who follows SIU or the, the Missouri Valley knows about Butler's win streak. And, you know, Butler had been paused several times, you know, hadn't practiced much in the last, I shouldn't say several times, but hadn't, hadn't practiced much as of late. They're missing... Uh, one of their key players, but Marcus Damask played all 40 minutes of that game against them. That is so impressive on so many levels. You know, part of it is is that, uh, you know, they had some foul trouble, so I think maybe uh, Mullins wanted to trust uh, Damask to be in there a little bit longer to hold him up. You know, they jumped out to an 18-point lead early in the second half and literally held on, I mean, just to the last possession of the game. And then, I don't know if you saw this, but Missouri State was having trouble with Arkansas Little Rock last night. Who'd actually beaten the Bears last year, and uh, Arkansas Little Rock actually ended the game with four players on the floor. What? Because they had they had foul trouble. Four four players. Yeah, but uh, Jamonte Black and Isaiah Mosley both had twenty eight points 
for the Bears, and Jamonte Black was seven for eleven from three point range. Oh. I mean, shooting seven, give him the ball. Seven for eleven by yourself in a gym, give him the ball is uh, is not a bad day, you know. Much less guys trying to keep you from scoring. Well, hit. So. I think he played for all forty minutes too for Missouri State. I I don't think he got taken out of the game either. Wow. Um. But you don't see that often. And I'd really like to know how many times this has happened, even in the last year. Because I doubt it's happened often. I'm sure you could pinpoint a couple games. You know, you could Google, well, okay, how many times has a team ended up with only four guys able to play, you know, that hadn't fouled out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't see that. I mean, yeah. I mean, they only played eight players. So I guess right. they only had eight healthy players. I yeah, and it's, and it's a team that's been competitive. Yeah, it's been competitive. It's not like you're somebody that uh, you know that they're just trying to scrap players together and stuff like that. It's uh, you know definitely something. They're a competitive team. Absolutely, but to an extent, though, I mean, you look at the you look at the recap of that, this game. Twenty-seven fouls by Little Rock, 23 by Missouri State. I mean, it gets to a point where it's just like, come on, let, let them play. I mean, it, you you see all these whistles now. It's like a little slap on the wrist. Somebody gets poked, and it, there goes the whistle. I mean, there's so many more free throws now, and I just it just ruins the flow. But at the same time, I think the players have to adjust. Well, I mean, there have been games, I and I talked about it when I was uh, Purdue Valparaiso. But on the other on the other side, we don't call three seconds in a lane anymore. I have noticed that too. That's true. You know, like <laughs> I was in, uh, I think North Dakota and SIU were playing, and their big man was in the lane forever. They could, uh, you know, and, and SIU was doing it too. Like they were trying to run down the clock, and one player was standing in the middle of the lane as the point guard was up top running down the clock towards the end of the first half. It's like, I guess we just don't call that. So, I, you know. I guess we just take it out of the rule book because we don't, you know, we're not going to bother to call it. That just that just puzzles me sometimes. And I've never been one of those guys that you know, oh, the referee wants to make themselves about the show. Like you still need to call the game. But yeah, it's perplexing sometimes that you see stuff happening. Like, well, why is that a foul and it wasn't there? And I've just been a, a person that if it was a foul in the first minute, it's a foul in the last minute in both ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, when you really sit back and and think about it, yeah, you know, you'll. And I'll be honest, I've done it before. Like, oh, you know, these refs just, you know, they want the game to be about them. But then, you know, you really look at it, it's like, they really don't. I mean, they don't yeah. get paid any more to be at the game. So the less the less time the game actually is, the better their pay is for the game, you know? Yeah. But uh, back on the OVC side, uh, teased it a little bit a minute ago, UT Martin improved to 3-0 while SEMO dropped to 2-4. and and another nail-biting game for SEMO seems like every game it's either yeah. an overtime or, you know, in this case it's a two-point loss. This was their first loss outside of overtime. And UT Martin only played seven guys in the game. You know, they only had 17 fouls, so they did a great job staying out of foul trouble. Only one guy had more than three fouls. Uh, but SEMO, on the other hand... Uh, Chris Harris, 23 points, and he was 7-10 from the foul line. He's been basically really one of the only guys that's been able to shoot the free throw this year for SEMO, and it's kind of hurt them 
more times than not. You know, they were 12 and 19 from the line, which is just good enough for 63%. So if you make a couple more of them, probably doesn't come down to a last second shot for UT Martin. But that's an area where, you know, you have a lot of guys that haven't played with each other before. And Coach Korn, you know, he's still getting his feet wet as this is his first head coaching job at the collegiate level. And the time, as time goes, you know, I'm sure free throws will improve. But if you're a, if you're a fan of the OVC or, you know, Simo in general, you just got to like where he has the team now compared to where they were last year, just, you know, not really being competitive at times. And now you're giving everybody a run for their money, which they also did to Indiana State, which we'll get there. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I think, you know, they'll take that first one, win that that close game that first time, and it gets you over the hump, so to speak. Get your kids, you know, they 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 need that win right now to keep believing. It's it's you know, with a new coach, they believe in the system, but they they want to see some results as well. So if they can do that, you know, um, get that first win in a close game or win a game they're not supposed to win, I think you'll really see a difference in those kids or kind of even step up another level, if you will. So I think that would be huge. And like you said, that the Indiana State game today, they climbed back into that one too as well. Yeah, they did. So back on to the Missouri Valley side here. So, I mean, just Indiana State, Simone, and uh, three guys in double figures today, including Tyree Key, you know, that's probably, you know, looking at first-team all-conferences – I think would be the objective for him finished with 18 for them today and uh, going back Indiana state played um, ball state and Jake LaRavia had 22 points in the first half for them. You know, so that was pretty huge that they're getting different guys to step up and, and be their leaders. And again, about I'm still trying to figure them out. I, I just don't know what's what to expect from them game in and game out. So that's good. And then Drake over Chicago state. If you can believe that Chicago state's just playing, I think every team in the, Missouri Valley. They don't have a they don't have a win yet, do they? No. I don't think they've even played at home yet. I didn't know if they've played like a team outside of the division one level yet, but it just seems like <laughs> it just seems like whenever you see their score come across the bottom line, it's it just never looks like it's going in Chicago State's favor. But uh the OVC side here, a couple games going on now. Eastern Kentucky pulling away from high point. Eastern Kentucky's keeping pace with their home record. Should improve to 4-0 unless there's a miraculous uh, recovery here by high point in the final three minutes. They're up 85-67. Tennessee Tech uh, trailing to Western Kentucky on ESPNU, 88-64. UT Martin lost at Ole Miss earlier today uh, in what most people probably would have expected to happen. But we were talking about this uh, not too long ago before we started recording. Uh, you actually had a chance to watch this today. I did not ha- get a chance to watch the game. But Chattanooga uh, sneaked out a win at Tennessee State, 66-63, in a game where Tennessee State was up at the half. What did you see in that game, TJ, as Chattanooga remained undefeated at 9-0? and Well, Chattanooga battled foul trouble most of the game. I know one of their best players, you know, he had – three fouls in the first half and four fouls most of the second half. And the feeling from the commentators was that, you know, they're really battling some depth issues uh, coming into the season. I really thought Tennessee State let this one slip away. Um, it's kind of pulling for Tennessee State, you know, uh, 
obviously we had Trey Meyer on here who coached there and now Dana Ford's in the Missouri Valley Conference had been Tennessee State's head coach. So, but they just mm-hmm. persevered and, you know, had some big plays that came up late and just Tennessee just had some shots that didn't fall for them. Like had a good opportunity to go up four, to go up five and just didn't convert. And I think that kind of like what we've talked about with Seymour, they just got to have that, that there at the end, that conversion to uh, get over the, the hum that one time. And hopefully that'll make the difference for them. Well, exactly. And I'm not sure if you realize this as the game was going on. It was a three-point win for Chattanooga. Tennessee State outscored from the foul line 26 to 5. So Chattanooga made basically 79% from the line, where Tennessee State was less than 46%, 5 of 11. So, I mean, that's that's just the difference there in itself. I mean, you get outscored 26 to 5 from the foul line. Typically, you wouldn't think it's going to be that close of a game. I mean, right. But to be in that game that long and to see that, you know, differential. Mm hmm. Just odd. Yeah, it's really odd to see that much of a difference in the the free throws too. Just anyway, so. But that'll kind of uh, that's just kind of a recap of the matchups from this past week and as of today, as we record on Tuesday, December twenty second. But to kind of give you a recap of some of the standings here, you know, kind of up to date. What's the Missouri Valley standings looking like here, TJ? Well, you have uh, Drake and Southern Illinois up at the top because of, uh, you know, they're both undefeated going into conference play. Missouri State's undefeated going into conference play. So, um, and then surprisingly enough is that, you know, Northern Iowa's towards the bottom with the chances that, you know, their early season troubles and Evansville actually being ahead of them in the, in the non-conference, you know, totals is surprising as well. So... Yeah, on the Ohio Valley side, you got Belmont leading the way. 8-1, 2-0 in conference play. Jacksonville State, second second place tied with Belmont for the conference side of things, 2-0, 5-2 overall. But uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of jockeying for positions here after, I'd say, the next two weeks come and go. I mean, you got a lot of conference games that are going to start to take flight. A lot of schools are wrapping up their non-conference play here either today or tomorrow but I saw yesterday during the broadcast of the Austin P and Murray State game Eastern Kentucky is near the NCAA lead in I believe steals if I saw that correctly I thought it said they were second in steals. I can believe that watching them play and the way they get up and down the floor is exactly what coach Hamilton had talked about when we had him on earlier they like to get up and down the floor quickly and, you know, push it the whole time. And, and you're seeing that. That's why they have such high-scoring games. And n- not that most people probably pay attention to it, but when you look at the lines that come out when you're looking at the upcoming matchups, the over-under for the, the game itself, always sky high. Because mm-hmm. people know the style of play now for Eastern Kentucky and – they just see how many points they're able to score. I mean, you take that Xavier game uh, a few weeks back, for example, 99-96. Right. So. Yeah, they just forced you to play at their speed. You don't have any choice because, you know, they're, even if you get ahead of them to break the press, now you need you see the opportunity to get in there and score. So, uh, you know, they really, they really dictate the tempo of the game for sure. 
and then saw this earlier uh, the Eastern Illinois and SA Edwardsville game that game was postponed uh, I guess due to COVID purposes so we'll see when you know those programs are able to get back on track uh, before we get to uh, what's coming up for these two conferences going forward, uh, just thought we'd mention here real quick that uh, the Missouri-Bradley game, game's winding down. It's 54-53 Missouri. Yeah. Did you think they, did you think they were went over and back there on that last possession by Missouri? Yeah, they just threw a lot of balls. I'll be honest, I didn't see it. Um uh, yeah, I I did not see the play. Well, I didn't get a good look at it, so we'll but, see here. But that and that's that's a point in itself. You know, we mentioned earlier. You know, they're in this game basically with a chance to win right now, and you know they're missing one of their better players. So that just shows you the team effort they're able to put together against the 14th ranked Tigers. Yeah, because Terry Nolan Jr. had a, a non-basketball-related procedure done this morning, or at some point since her last game. So, yeah, adapting without you know one guy that's been key for them, and uh, be it'd be one of those games that coulda, woulda, shoulda for the, uh, the Braves if they don't pull this one out for sure. Well, that's kind of a look back at what's been going on within the two conferences. We're gonna move on to what's ahead for the two conferences, more or less a Missouri Valley segment here as the Ohio Valley's kind of on a dry spell here with uh, the holidays coming up. And I think Jacksonville State plays a lesser of a Division One school a little bit below, and that's about it. Uh, so, TJ, what's the Missouri Valley Conference looking like? Well, like we talked about, they're doing back-to-back. So uh, you'll go to a school and you'll play them twice, and those will be your two conference games instead of doing a home-and-home series. And Drake's going to go to Indiana State, which I think is uh, probably a, a more even matchup than most people had planned or had thought before the season would have started. You know, I think Drake's played really well. They're one of the last undefeated teams in the country. Um, one of only – they went they won again tonight. I think they're one of only like two teams and three teams in the country that are 9-0 and right now because I think coming in today it was Chattanooga, Drake, and Xavier. We're all 8-0. And – uh, Chattanooga and Drake both win today. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things change there. Um, I, I, I like Drake going into that game. I think before the season would have started, I would have said Indiana State, but now not so much. Evansville goes to Southern Illinois for a pair, and I think you still got to like Southern Illinois there while Evansville has definitely improved. Then Illinois State and Loyola, you know, um, Illinois or Loyola played an NAIA school today and um, didn't even play Cameron Crutwig and a number of other players, but still won by 40 or 50 points. And then Missouri state, Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa has been paused here. So it'd be interesting to see while Missouri state was paused early and only has only gotten three games in Northern Iowa, uh, got their games in early, but they've been paused for the last couple of weeks too. So how do they react coming off of this break? But you're at a point now where everybody's done until, uh, Sunday, so you have four days off here. So does that kind of bring you back to the fact that everyone, you know, is four days different from you know two weeks and uh, stuff like that? So, and then the other setting, you know, it won't be until Monday, Tuesday, like we said earlier. 
is Bradley playing at Valparaiso. And, and like I said, Brad, Bradley you know, obviously lost a tough one here to Mizzou, the one that got away. But uh, Valparaiso is just so hard to figure out right now. I mean, Donovan Clay's been really good for them, like you would have expected. He had a, you know, a big game the other day against Toledo, had a double-double with 17 points and 13 boards. So, but I'm excited to finally get down to the brass tacks of it and, and see who's who and what's what. And, um, you know, you, I, I feel like I pull for all these teams until it's time to get to conference play. And then you start, you know, pulling for your team more than the others a little bit or who can help you out most. So it'll definitely be, I think it's going to be a lot tighter race than I probably expected, you know, at the beginning of the season with Northern Iowa with their injury problems and um, stuff like that going on. So. But yeah. And then that's, those are the only games that are going on. So, I mean, once these conference games start, I mean, a lot more is going to come to light. You know, you're going to see what schools were, you know, basically real during non-conference play. I mean, you've seen before that schools get off to a great, a great record in non-conference play, but then conference play starts. You start to see the familiarity, you know, come through, and then, you know, the in-conference schools know how to defend you in certain aspects and that's when you really got to start to figure out okay you know did we break down the film good enough what did we see here what did we see there and you know once conference play starts this is where it's really going to start to matter yeah the non-conference record's good and all you know it helps prepare you for conference games obviously you don't want to go two and six you know you'd rather be eight and oh or seven and one get a good record get the you know kids believing in it so once once these games start sunday and monday i think we'll we'll know a lot by you know tuesday the 29th yeah and it'll be interesting injuries i think could play an even bigger role here you get a big series because that's kind of what they're like now almost like a a miniature baseball series but if uh, you know uh, terry nolan jr still hurt when they play bradley plays loyola well, then he misses both games against Loyola. Yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, and that's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, it's 2020, we have to deal with it, and injuries always happen, but it makes it even bigger if that, you know, the key players are missing back-to-back games against, you know, the, the other team you're buying for at the top of the conference or for seeding when it comes to the conference tournament. So it'll be, it'll be a different type of coaching that will have to go on this year for sure. So that's a little bit of what's happened on the Missouri Valley, Missouri Valley side. Excuse me, uh, Ohio Valley kind of kind of quiet here for the next so many days. They'll get back on track here in the coming week and weeks. Um, but outside of the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley side of things, uh, college basketball in general, uh, one of the areas I wanted to mention real quick. Uh, you know, you had the scare down in Florida. You know, when Florida and Florida State were playing. Uh, Keontae Johnson uh, out of the hospital. So that's that's big. Yeah. I mean, you, you never want to see somebody, you know, collapse like that on a in anything, whether it's college basketball, football, what have you. But to see that he's at, he's out of the hospital now, uh, I mean, it's hopefully that'll be able to, you know, that'll get the Florida players and you know coaching staff. A little bit uh put their mind at ease a little bit and especially uh you know Keontae Johnson's family as well yeah it was I mean to watch that video was, was pretty scary stuff it's just 
you know, just see him fall like that. And I'm old enough to remember when uh, Hank Gathers played at Loyola Marymount and died right before, right towards the end of the season, and and what those guys had to deal with. And uh, you know, it's it's just it, it, it's cliche, but it makes you remember what's important, you know, health and stuff like that, and how suddenly things can change. It is uh, a pretty scary time. So, and one other thing, uh, this one kind of you know hits home a little bit as it's as this high school's near where we live. TJ, uh, what did you think about Coach John Calipari's uh, comments about you know Cameron Fletcher, you know, to step away from the program, you know, as he went to Vashon High School, which is you know just across the river in uh, St. Louis. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting thing to you know kind of air, you know air the dirty laundry in public so to speak you know you've always heard those things it's just like hey you know cam needs to take some time instead of saying that we did it you know we're the ones that took him to to step aside and and you say stuff in there like you know we talked to his mother and they know i care about him like well then don't don't you feel what you care about don't you bring them in closer as opposed to like hey you need to you need to get away from us so we can preserve our culture, which, in, you know, to me, his code is like, you're not fitting into our culture. So I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would play it that way. Just, you know, you could say that he's, we, he needs to take care of some things and maybe that we didn't force it on him, but uh, it, it's definitely seemed like he put the blame on the kid. So what were your thoughts about it? I just, I'm not much for, you know, a coach going out and, you know, pup making it public. Like if something's going on inside your program, you know, I'm not saying keep it hush hush, but don't let it get out of the locker room or outside of the, you know, that campus. It doesn't need to be, you know, brought to light for, you know, something that may have been not the biggest thing in the world. But then once you pup go public about it, then, you know, everyone starts questioning all well, now people may not want to take a chance on this kid, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, basically, you know, that he's still growing, learning from mistakes. So, I I don't think going public was the was probably the best route. But I'm also not Coach Calipari, and I don't, you know, haven't been with a good program like Kentucky for you know however many years he's been there. Right, and yeah, it's like you said, he's won a heck of a lot more college basketball games than I ever will. So he must know he has some insight that I don't have too. So, and you never know, maybe this is something that has been going brewing in the in the uh, behind the scenes for a while now. There's finally just all right, we're gonna make this statement, and everyone believes the first person to speak on things. So he sure. made sure he got his message out there. You either control the message, or the message controls you. And I guess that's it, the route he took was to make sure he had control of the message. So with that, we'll kind of wrap it up with kind of a holiday theme here, you know, with Christmas time, you know, getting closer. Uh, movies, TJ. What's okay. your favorite movies? Yep. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, it's got to be National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So I just, so quotable and just, I feel like it's timeless. You know, someone says, like, you want to say Grace? Grace died 30 years ago. (laughs) No, the blessing. You know, just stuff like that. I once won a, you don't know this about me, but I once won a Halloween costume contest dressed as Cousin Eddie. You're you're kidding me. Nope, not at all. Uh, We had a Halloween party we were going to. I wasn't going to dress up. And finally, last minute, I was like, ah, I don't want to be the the Scrooge of the Halloween party. So I threw an outfit together and, uh, 
didn't even know there was going to be a, a contest and won myself some money. So, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I just love that movie from beginning to end, and just the the stuff that comes. Uh, like you watch it, and then you see something you didn't see the last thousand times that you watched it. You know, like always, much you always hope someone gets a membership to the Jelly of the Month Club, so you can say that's the gift that keeps on giving, there, Clark. So, yeah. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Take a guess. I want you to see if, how well you think you know me. Uh, I feel like. I feel like It's a Wonderful Life is probably pretty high up there on your list. Like you, you just love the story and the redemption and coming back from hard times. And yeah, uh, that's not the right one. Okay, good guess. Uh, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. Oh man, you can't get lost in New York. I I like Home Alone. Actually, Home Alone One and Two are both both kind of up there for a tie. But I like Lost in New York. Uh, yeah. That's my favorite. I, I think I, I can watch that. Key, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I can watch that basically anytime. It doesn't even have to be at Christmas time, and it it's the same level of funny every time I watch it. Like <laughs> it, there's there's never a time I'm not laughing at a part that I laughed at before. Like I, I still get a kick out of it. Yeah, you know, when you first watch the movie as a kid, you think, "Wow, that's a really great house." And now I wonder, like, I wonder what the mortgage is on that thing. <laughs> Yeah. And a house full of kids on a day off of school, you're telling me that there weren't, you know, three of those kids that were up way earlier than anyone needed to be up. For sure. Anyone anyone who's a parent knows. It goes there was one of those kids that was excited and wanted to go and was up or hey, when are we leaving? When are we leaving? We're just, you know, not so quietly sneaking around the house. Yeah. It definitely makes you think, but I mean overall I it's an older movie, but again, it's it's always funny, in my opinion. Yeah, always a good time. But that'll wrap up episode 28 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 29. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. And be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Have a good one, everybody.